And today we light the final of the four Advent candles, the Mary candle. It is this candle that celebrates a brave young woman who trusted the Lord, even though it meant possible rejection and certain gossip and shame. Her reward was not an earthly reward, for as we will see in our reading this morning, she faced certain heartache because she chose to say yes to the Lord's calling. Our reading this morning is from Luke 2, 25-35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. morning. Yeah, I told Brandon it was a trick candle because no matter how hard he, that flame was right on that wick and it just wasn't cooperating. Thank you so much though for doing that. What a great family to be a part of our church and so helpful to us in so many different ways. Fuchsia has helped us so much in children's ministry and just with energy and life. If you want to get to know somebody that has like joy in their life, get to know Fuchsia. She's a brilliant soul that way, and Brandon, you've done well and improved her life even and stuff. We were worried about that at first. I remember warning you years ago when you guys were getting married not to dim that light. So way to keep it glowing. That's great. This is an incredible time of year. I don't need to tell you that, you know, lots of opportunity for celebration, all different creative ways we can do that. And hearing the kids sing this morning, I don't know, I feel like somebody was motivated with donuts after church because they were like, if you sing loud, you'll get somebody was like really going at it, right? It was pretty awesome. So cute. And uh, it's it's moving to us when we see the joy and the light and the life of Christmas in the face of children, of course. And and I was glad that we were able to get that picture up of Graham and Stephanie's newest. And, and I heard every kind of collective gasp in the room, that face of that beautiful baby on the big screen and everyone, you just can't help it. 
You're staring at this face and you're seeing all the intricacies of what God can put together. And every time we welcome a child into the world, we study it, we we adore it, we listen for every little whimper and sound. We wait to see every little growth period in their life and all that's happening. I know like all the times that we would have kids born. I know we've had a few, but um, now I get to do it with grandkids and everything. You always have to smell the head. There's that little and that peach fuzz on the head. It's amazing, isn't it? It's like a miracle. Everything's happening and we, we, we can't help but to be drawn into the greatness of what God can accomplish by giving us these great little gifts of children. We could, we could have just seen God say, okay, well, this is what happens. You know, you gotta have children. You gotta keep the race going and everything. And there's no fun in it. There's no joy in it. There's no beauty in it and everything. But what does he do? He, he does it in such a way that our hearts are just in, engaged in it and drawn into it and blessed by it. And that's what the Lord has done in revealing his glory in the face of a child. I loved the uh, the reading that we just heard for the candle lighting. And uh, I think it was last year that we zeroed in a little bit on the life of Simeon and the fact that he was called, he was prophesied that he wouldn't die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. I mean, talking about a guarantee statement, that's pretty cool. We're always like, I wonder how long I'll last. And somebody told him, like, you're, until you lay eyes on the Lord's Christ, you will not pass. Now, he didn't necessarily behold Jesus as an infant, but he saw him as a child. And he was able to impart that incredible blessing and that prayer over Mary and Joseph. But in particular, as it related to Jesus. And Simeon says, he goes, my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. This is what he calls Jesus. He says, a light for revelation, not just to the Jews, he says, but for the Gentiles. For all the world, this child is coming into the world to be a light of the revelation of the glory of God for all people and for glory to your people Israel. Not only would he be Israel's salvation if they followed him and gave their hearts to him, but they would be their bo- he would be their boast as well because they could say salvation came from the Jews, that he was born amongst us, and he has been this gift to the world. So Simeon was, was rejoicing because he got to behold the child and he was drawn into it because of all that Jesus is and all that he would mean. For the, uh, for the world and to be so blessed to say that in my lifetime, I get to witness this all unfolding. This is how the Lord revealed his glory. It's not the only way that he's revealed his glory, but it certainly is the consummate way in which the Lord has revealed his glory. And, and there's something that we've been saying week after week in different ways, as much as I can try to be creative with this. But the reality is, is that you and I have, have a much better shot in life when we understand that God does everything, everything for his own glory. The starting position of our lives, whenever we're asking the questions, because we always do, what is God up to? Or why didn't God do this? Or why does he do this instead? The answer to that question always needs to start with, because he does it for his own glory. The scriptures make it clear in so many places, but I think in Isaiah 48 in particular, um, it's, it's brought home to us that this is what God cares about. He says in Isaiah 48, for my name's sake, for my name's sake, I defer my anger for the sake of my praise. I restrain it for you. 
that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. Why? Why would you do this, Lord? Why would you do this to us? Why would you do this before us? Verse 11 says, for my own sake. For my own sake, he repeats it, I do it. For how shall my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God's own glory is God's highest priority and the blessing for all of mankind. Our world trips over this a little bit because it's, we, we judge everything based on egotism and whether or not that's being self-centered. And if God was so gracious and good, why wouldn't he share the spotlight a little bit? But what we have to understand this morning as we look at many passages of scripture is that God's glory isn't something that grows or it isn't something that, that um, becomes greater than it is. It just is. God is who he is. He is glorious and magnificent. He is above the heavens and the earth. He is above everything that he's created. He's above everything that we witness and experience. He just chooses how he reveals that to us. To change that or to dim that or to lessen that would would make him no longer God. So why does God care that he's glorified? Because he can give us Nothing more glorious than himself, nothing more wonderful or more blessed than himself. He's both the source and the sum of all goodness and blessedness. What I would hope for us to see in our journey through the scriptures this morning is that God carefully and intentionally revealed his glory for his own good and for the rescue of mankind as we've been singing about this morning. He put limits on his revelation. He did not put limits on his own glory, but he unfolds the revelation of his glory in different ways over different times. And of course, culminating in the birth of Jesus. It's, it's impossible for us to relate fully to what it means for the people of the Old Testament to have such limited revelation as, as God was unfolding his old plan in pieces and in shadows and in different ways. It's impossible for us to totally relate to that because we're on the other side of Christmas. We know what all the prophecy was about. It's all um, woven into our Christmas hymns. It's in our songs. It's in our verses. It's in our candle lightings. We now know what the birth of Jesus meant and why it had to be him, why he had to come from Nazareth and all the things, the fulfillment of prophecy. But at the time, they didn't know all that. They knew that God would send one. They, they knew that he would send one who would, who would um, represent the people. They knew that he would send a savior. But the way in which he did was still a mystery. One day you and I will have our eyes open in new ways that we won't, it will, we'll even say, well, at the time that we were alive, there were still pieces that we were missing. That as God had unveiled and, and revealed all of his glory, there were still parts of it we didn't understand all that he was up to. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be, uh, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. There is a point in time where we will stand before the revelation of everything that God was up to and the way in which he was going about doing it. And I saw, I know some of us are dying for those answers today. The things that you've been through or things that you're currently going through, you just want to know what is he up to? Why? Why do I have to endure this? It's helpful to start from a place that it is somehow, some way, an unfolding of his glory 
And it's an, it's an unfolding in your own life. God had revealed himself through this thing called creation. Through nature, even the psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. God has put on display for all to see his greatness in the fact that you can look at a mountain and say, I don't know how that got there. You can, you can be in a lake and just be like, well, this is amazing. Or we can see a beautiful snowfall like we had yesterday as it blankets the entire surrounding with this amazingly um, beautiful looking like a, like a painting kind of existence around us. And we say, there has to be somebody in charge of this kind of thing. You and I can't manufacture this. There's a revelation of God's greatness and his glory in creation. And right since the beginning of time, he put that on full display for us to understand. And creation is an effective canvas to reflect the artist. It does a, a capable job as we look around to be able to say, wow, God is amazing and powerful for us to have all that we have. And the scriptures tell us that those who don't believe that suppress that truth because it's so obvious. This is how Paul says it. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to us, plain to them, those who see all that God has done, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Has your experience been that every time somebody takes in a sunset, or experiences a hurricane, or some kind of great demonstration of God's amazing ability to create, that that just drops them to their knees and they give their entire lives to Christ. And they say, I've been missing this all this time. No, because creation isn't necessarily the vehicle that brings us to salvation, but it is a demonstration of God's great glory. For all of its beauty, nature is still a partial revelation. We don't believe as the pantheists and other aspects of that do that God is in his own creation in the sense that, wow, that's an amazing tree. God must dwell inside of it. Or wow, what an incredible sunset. That must be where God is. All of these things were created to point to who he is and where he is. Natural revelation is as powerful as it is, as amazing as it is, as catastrophic as it seems like it could be, or as, as humbling as it is when we really witness it with all of its glory. It's still insufficient for salvation. God never really intended it for it to be a means of salvation. The point of natural revelation was to show people the truth about the Lord so that they can see the truth about themselves that they are sinners in need of salvation. So as we're journeying through the scriptures this morning, what we're seeing is as amazing of a display as God has put out there, it still wasn't sufficient to show us all of his glory, to show us his full revelation of who he was, as impressive and amazing as it is. So God says they're they're ignoring my creation, they're suppressing the truth of it, so I'm going to dwell in their presence. And so the Hebrews gave us a term called Shekinah for the glory of God that showed up primarily in the Old Testament. Because the Hebrew word there, Shekinah glory, means that he caused to dwell. Referring to the divine presence of God coming and being present with the people to dwell with them. But he came mysteriously. 
He didn't come in full face. He came in a cloud or he came in a fire and a burning bush. He came in a trembling mountain or some display of thunder and lightning and all of these things. But God's glory and his presence came and dwelt among the people. But it was still masked. Shekinah is still a refraining from God's full revelation. Moses had said, Moses, of course, the great prophet of the people of Israel and the friend of God and one who communed with God regularly would talk with him and receive messages from him and everything. The closer he got to God, he said, I just want to look at you. I want to see you. Just show me who you are. I want to, I want you to reveal who you are. And God says, you can't handle that. I'm, I'm going to tuck you in on the side. He says in Exodus 33, he says, you cannot see my face for, for man shall not see me and live. And so the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Isn't that amazing that Moses, as close as he was, as friendly as he was to God, as faithfully as he was to both God and his people, says that Moses stood in the gap between the wrath of God and his people. He would often appeal or petition to God, don't take this out on them. Forgive them, Lord. I feel like Moses deserves some revelation. I think he would deserve some answers that most people wouldn't get to see. And so the request even to me isn't out of the, out of the realm of possibility or reason to say, Lord, I just want to see what you look like. And God says, all you can see and even tucked away behind a, a rock. And even with my hand over your eyes, all you can see is my back. No one can see me and live. The brilliance of the glory of God is too much for any of us to endure. We're so familiar in the Christmas story when the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So the, the glory of the Lord transferred, if you will, through angels was still enough to freak everybody out. And to drop them to their knees and to make them hide from the light as it were. To be able to say, I can't contain the glory that I'm seeing. I can't contain all that's being revealed to me right now. It's, it's mind-blowing and it's fear-inducing. It's awe-inspiring. The brilliance of the glory of God is, is so massive and so huge. How can we be in its presence? How can we endure it? All of this kind of escalation that we're talking about, though, it's important to clarify that God is not escalating his glory. He's not saying, I'm going to turn up the wattage on my glory. Remember what we said at the outset, his glory doesn't change. It's already too much for us to handle. It's in the revelation of his glory that he has chosen to do it in stages or in different ways. So we know already he, he, he whispered to the world through his creation. Hey, look over here. This is what I've done. Notice me in it. And mankind went, eh, pretty nice. We hear that today. Sometimes we, we hear so many people say, I don't really need church. I don't really need, you know, Christians around me and everything. I, I get my God while I'm out there in nature and I look and I applaud his handiwork and everything. But it was just meant to point him to the relationship with the one true God, not to be the replacement of it. Mankind has looked at creation and went, meh, I'll use it for me. Something that I want out of it. 
So God whispered to us through his creation. He shadowed his glory and his presence through the Shekinah glory. And he says, you get to see an aspect of me, but not the full revelation. He even spoke to his people. He spoke to the world, the world with actual verbiage and spoke in the ears of his people ever since the beginning of creation. Hebrews one captures this. It says long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We know that God used human instruments all along to go and meet with them and say, tell this to my people. Have you ever wondered why he had to go through somebody else? Haven't we said before, if God just kind of ripped open the clouds or tore open the ceiling and said, this is what I want you to do, do it. We'd all be like, oh, okay, I'll do it. But when you hear, you know, me saying it or somebody else who's trying to exposit the word of God or something, or even in the Old Testament time was there actually were prophets who had the voice of God and spoke on behalf of God. I am not a prophet. My words can be fallible. Um, but they would, they would speak on behalf of God and the people had a choice. Do we obey what we're hearing from this guy? He's just always correcting us. He's always telling us what to do. We're kind of sick of hearing. I don't like a tenor of his voice. I, his face bugs me. You know, that's the way that people would receive this amazing. God cared enough to speak directly to his people. And it was hard to receive sometimes because it was coming through a human instrument. I've wondered about that from time to time. Part of me speculates that God, rather than just always speaking directly from a cloud in a big thundering voice, instead chose human instruments, was that one day his plan would come in the form of flesh and that we would relate to that flesh because we would be able to comprehend God differently. Rather than being such a distant and unrelatable God as the one who only shouts at us from mountaintops through thunder and lightning, that he spoke through flesh so that you and I might be able to relate to it better. A story is told of a missionary who was serving a group of people who in so many places around the world have poor water sanitation and they're prone to illnesses and disease and shorter lifespans and things because of all of the contaminations and different things and the access to better solutions that they don't have. And this missionary was concerned about it. It wasn't his area of expertise, but he could plainly see that the population of people suffered for not having better treatment systems and better opportunities to get water and things. And no matter what he, excuse me, what he recommended to them, they kind of didn't really see the problem. They had this low lying, um, immunity to a lot of things. It wasn't like they were like, you know, falling down sick all the time. So they didn't really recognize the problem. They didn't see it as bad as it really was. This missionary reached out to his friend who happened to be an engineer and said, I need to get your expertise here, but I'm afraid that the people won't receive you because they don't really see the issue for what it is. And so the friend decided to come with his expertise, but to also adjust his appearance as best he could, adjust his his culture and leave that behind and try to figure out what it is that the people might relate to and, and connect with them differently. And it took time and it took process and it took patience and it took headbanging and all these kinds of things because the people weren't just ready, they just weren't ready to receive even the gift that he was bringing in terms of a better sanitation system. And it wasn't until he looked, acted, sounded more like them would they trust his expertise. So the application here is right on the nose, right? That God gave us his son wrapped in a package that we could relate to. 
I, I can't relate to somebody who can create all that we see. I can't relate in my humanness to someone who can drop the sun and raise the moon. I can't relate in, in, in my flesh to the one who can control the weather systems of the world. I can't even plumb the depths of the brilliance of all the words that he shared with us and we study it so much and we're like, and it still has uh, meaning to us and it has new revelation to us, if you will, because we're discovering new principles in it. The wisdom, the brilliance and the depth of all that he's spoken to us is, is mind numbing. But when I see the photo of a beautiful little baby, I go, I can connect to that. I, I can see that I can, I, I, that can enter my world because it's one like me. It's one made in flesh like me. Isaiah even let us know that God's glory hadn't fully been revealed in chapter 40. He says the glory of the Lord. Now keep in mind, he's saying this in written form. He is, he is producing or reproducing the spoken word of God. And he's saying the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, not has been, shall be. In all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There is one coming who all of us will pay attention to. So as God was revealing himself through whispers and shadows and spoken word, he reveals his glory in a shout through the birth of Jesus Christ. John 1 tells us that the word, capital W, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And in him, through this birth, we have seen his glory. Glory, <clears throat> excuse me, is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, all of this massive glory that has been contained has been leaked out, if you will, in measure, even though when we look at any of these revelations in isolation, we go, this is amazing. Only God can do that creation and Shekinah and spoken word and, and all these kinds of things. Only God could do that to the effect that he's done it. But all of those things were insufficient or fell short, if I dare say that in my human terms here, fell short of the revelation that would come that in the face of Jesus in this tiny little child would contain all of his power, all of his glory. That there would be no more distance or no more fear from a misunderstanding or not knowing the personality of the God that they're serving. Hebrews 1 continues, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And this is how it sums up who Jesus is, that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I would say that what God has done in creation is pretty impressive. I would say that all the other aspects of his revelation, if we had witnessed the Shekinah glory, we would be blown away. And yet somehow it's only in this child, the birth of his son, that the full radiance of God's glory is seen. The exact imprint of his nature can be connected with now. So God was showing the world through history that what it wouldn't accept in creation or receive from his great demonstrations of power or even hear from his direct words would ultimately be packaged in one who was like us, yet still being all of the power and the love of God that they have been rejecting all along. 
this time of year, and I try not to hear it too much, but <clears throat> if any of you have an Alexa at home, oh my goodness, my kids, man, they love the Christmas music and stuff, and it's great, it's great. But how many versions of Jingle Bell Rock and all these other things do we need to hear 80 times a day? One of my kids just said it yesterday. There was one of the songs, and I'm not even going to try to remember what it was because then it will be stuck in my head. And they were like, haven't we heard this one already today? And I said, 80 times. You just heard it from a different singer. And they go, no, actually, I think I heard it from this exact singer just a few minutes ago. And I was like, yeah, most likely. But the one Christmas hymn that I try to save and preserve and be moved by because I think it's the perfect culmination of soaring melody and poignant lyrics and everything is Oh Holy Night. And I found myself as I was uh, having a, a few moments to myself the other night, I was going looking for something to watch on TV and PBS had the, the Irish um, Tabernacle Choir doing their Oh Holy Night special, which I don't watch a lot of those things or know the tradition of those things. Apparently it's an annual thing and it's narrated and it was just spectacular. And as they got to the, the song of Oh Holy Night, I'm just sitting there on a couch. This is, this is your pastor here on a couch underneath a blankie. And I'm like, <laughs> <clears throat> that song slays me every time I can't stand it. Right from the opening when it says, Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. All that we've discussed about God's revelation and largely being ignored or yawned at or not even recognized as the rescue that all of mankind is needed to me is wrapped up in that phrase, long lay the world in sin and error, just pining. God, somebody, we need a rescue. We need something to change in our existence. We need some savior to come. And I just want to pause the song there and just think about it and, and dwell on the fact that finally the answer to that pining has come. And that's why the hymn writer says, till he appeared and our souls felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And then it just kind of crescendos to that fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night. When Christ was born, God had revealed his glory in so many different ways, but measured, contained, so it wouldn't blow us away, that it wouldn't cause us to run and hide, so it wouldn't keep us from getting closer to him, all leading to the point that he would reveal himself in full radiance and nature and character in his son, a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. beyond just the tradition and the joy of thinking about all these things at this time of year or me throwing out a few well-measured cliches to get us to go, yeah, that's right, that's what Christmas is all about. I think this is an opportunity for the Lord to call us into deeper fellowship and life in Him when we reveal that He is continuing to reveal His glory. That at the birth of Jesus, He wasn't done. Of course, He demonstrated His glory through a perfect life as, as Jesus um, made no errors whatsoever, had no, no negative thought or never had to ask for forgiveness or any of those sorts of things because He lived perfectly on behalf of you and me to be the perfect sacrifice because we were so sin-tainted even before we got started. 
And so God's glory was seen all through his life and through his miraculous works and through his forgiveness and patience and his his influence in all that would happen in the world after him. But of course, his glory was seen on a cross when Jesus laid it all down as a as a humble and perfect sacrifice, giving back to his father what he demanded, which was perfection, doing it on behalf of us who were imperfect. God's glory was on full display as his son hung, isolated, alone, and naked on a cross. And yet he's still not done. God still has more revelation of his glory, not in things that would necessarily be new, but his power would continue to be on display. And ironically, miraculously, he's putting it on display through us. He could do it with great signs and wonders all through creation. He could rip the ceilings open in every house in this world and speak to them audibly. He could land here as a cloud and, and, and lead us by a pillar of fire in the night and everything just to be that kind of Shekinah glory. He could be all of those things, but he brought his glory personally through his son, Jesus, who now resides in the hearts of every believer. God still cares about the revelation of his glory. And he's not done shouting it to the world. He is shouting it through you and I. As we have the presence of the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living within us. Paul says that that God called us into being partners or partakers of this glory. He told the church in Colossae, he said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul is saying this incredible glory that people couldn't be face to face with that would blow them away is now something that you and I are partners in. Uh, That was one thing I was, as I was watching that Christmas special and I was seeing hundreds of people in this choir and I was seeing thousands in the audience and just thinking about how this is being televised all over the world. My first thought was, Lord, I'm one of them. I, I've, you've called me somehow, selected me to be one of these, like in the choir of your entire church all across the world, to be somebody just singing a part, doing my part to lift you praise. And so are you. And he called you to be a partaker of this glory, to be an amazing access, to be in amazing access, I should say, to all that he's put on display. And it's by that same glory that he's equipped us. Again, I go back to the words of Paul, but in Second Corinthians, he says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
And again, scratching his head, thinking, how does he do this through human people? He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay that you and I are these broken vessels, these clay pots who are, who are damaged and not perfect and not, not as good as the glory of God. But he says that we have this treasure contained in these jars of clay, this glory to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He's equipped us by his glory because he's taken residence in our hearts and it's him that's on display. So a people, a church, a Christian, whoever holds Jesus high, whoever puts his glory, glory in the highest above all things is one who is equipped to demonstrate the glory of God. But it's not for our own purpose. It's not for our own use. It's not so that we can feel powerful or somehow just be bright on our cell, on our own. No, he sends us for his glory. Jesus told those that were listening, that were following him. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is what we're called to do. We've taken this incomparable glory that has been revealed throughout the ages, made personal in the Son of God, namely Jesus Christ. We've been given access to that glory because he died on our behalf and now he shines brightly in our hearts and we are to be spreading this amazing glory to all of those around us that we continue to, to do as, as Ebenezer Scrooge even did to keep Christmas in his heart all the year long. This is the, uh, the beauty and the privilege and the partnership that we've been afforded. Christmas came to reveal the unmistakable glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And for some reason, he uses you and I to reflect that glory as we hold Jesus high. As we prepare to go into Christmas and we get ready for our celebrations with our family, I just pray continually for your lights to shine bright. <clears throat> we all have different places and backgrounds and Family members and all the challenges and struggles and things that come with that, we have opportunities given to us. But ultimately, for the one who wants to put God's glory on display, he will always give you an opportunity for that. You have to ask him in faith and be his willing vessel. I look forward to coming together for Christmas Eve. We have an incredible celebration planned. We're going to go a little bit longer than we normally do. Not terribly long, but just a little bit longer to give the atmosphere time to breathe, to soak in all the goodness of God and to see his glory on display. And we look forward to seeing you there with us to do just that. I'm going to ask you to stand and, and pray with me as we close. Lord God, I'm so thankful, Father, for your word, and I'm thankful, Lord, that you know what we can handle and what we can't. But Lord, right now we are so thankful for the arrival of your son, who came, I'm sure, so adorably and pleasantly to those who were surrounding him and, and in awe of all that an infant brings to this world and things, Lord. But there were so many like Simeon and others that knew that there was much more power in this one child than just the, the cuteness of a baby, that this was the redeemer of all mankind. 
And so thank you, Lord, for giving us still a tradition in our world of being able to celebrate this incredible and monumental revelation of your glory. So, Lord, may we uphold Christmas and may we celebrate it for all that it affords us. May we reflect your goodness and your glory to all of those around us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us salvation, a salvation we couldn't earn or deserve. We certainly couldn't afford it. So thank you, Lord, for coming down to us and dwelling amongst us and being a God that we can relate to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.